0: Coming up today on the Elevate 2 podcast, it's episode number seven. We are back and recharged from the holidays. We talk about the time that Money Mitch got traded over the week of Thanksgiving and the uh, hilarity that ensued, Well, at least for him, in the days following that trade. We also got ambitious. We taped this episode right after Thanksgiving, so... We talk a lot about the Islanders and their arena situation, but we taped before the Islanders' COVID cases came out, so that's why you won't hear that situation addressed on this podcast. Otherwise, we talk about the significance of December 1st in the NHL calendar. So without further ado, here's Episode 7 of the Elevate 2 Podcast. This is the Elevato 2 Podcast, brought to you by Money Mitch. The podcast bringing you inside the world of hockey. From on the ice to inside the front office, we bring you places you've never been before. Now, here are your hosts, Tori Mitchell, Jonathan Bates, Brian Strait, and Brady Farkas. What's up, everybody? Episode 7 of the Elevate 2 Podcast. Back here, back at it. Brady Farkas, Brian Strait, Money Mitch. The professor, Jonathan Bates, who is joining us for the YouTube crowd, can see him on a beach somewhere continuing his holiday. Bates, this episode's coming out December 1st. We're well past Thanksgiving. You're still on vacation.
1: I mean, why wouldn't you be, you know? you just got (laughs) to enjoy life when you can. You know, Farky? It's just how we roll. It's just how we roll. Good for you. Hope everybody had a great holiday. We did. The
0: batteries are recharged. We're back at it. Episode 6 with Megan Duggan, you guys really exploded that one numbers-wise. So thanks for all the support. Got a lot of great feedback on that episode. You know, I was just thinking about this quickly before we really get into it. When you are in hockey in any capacity, what's the impact on all these holidays? Have you guys ever celebrated a Thanksgiving until now that you're out of the game? (sighs) It's quick. gosh.
2: Yeah, it's it's, uh, in and out, you know, there's a couple of Christmases where I actually had three days, but most most of the time you get the 24th and 25th off. So you can't really travel. Um, And then you uh, you're back at it, the 26th, usually uh, like a morning skate and then or practice. And then you're flying out, playing uh, straighter. There's games are always on the 27th, right? Typically, you get
3: some on the 26th, but. You only get those two days off because the league mandates it. Like it's not like your coach is like, "Oh, go have." If it was up to coaches, they'd have you go in on the twenty fourth and practice,
1: mm-hmm. maybe even Christmas Day. Oh um, yeah. The, yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. Didn't they uh, w- a few years ago with the CBA? They now mandated no more games on the twenty sixth. So I think it it's might 24, be four yeah. twenty five, twenty six. So you guys yeah. need to, you know, don't be afraid oh, to mix in oh. a work day here. Okay, all you know right. Don't be afraid though, to mix you in a get Used
3: day. to it, you get used <laughs> to it, Farky. Like I, I do when especially now still like you're in hockey season right and as a scout Bates, you were there too as this as this on the scouting side like it's it's quick still now like I'm gonna be home for a few days now and then I'm going to a game uh the day after I mean it's just around the corner down in Bridgeport but either or like it's still like if you're still in it even not playing it's still like you know you're running around like a madman
2: right well now. you're going you're going to Christmas tournaments you're going you're scouting I mean the holidays are tournament time too for youth hockey, and sure. um, but yeah, I mean the the breaks are like in and out. You know, you get two or three days of Christmas, and that, but you can't. Like I said, you can't really travel to family because if you get stuck somewhere, which I have a funny story. Uh, what's his name in zadoroff in Colorado when I was playing with him in Buffalo, he got stuck in Costa Rica during the. <laughs> I don't know if it was the Olympic break or yeah, twenty fourteen. Anyways, might have might have been, but he just. He got stuck in Costa Rica like three extra days. Rookie, 18-year-old rookie, oh, Russian rookie.
0: Oh,
3: boy. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Boys you must have been giving him a hard time when he got back, off huh? It was just the silent treatment. I think we went with the silent treatment. Oh, you know? wow. Oh, that hurts um, for a rookie. Oh, well, he was the – exactly. <laughs> the young rookie, like Russian, big prospect. First-round first pick. First-round pick. Pump, First-round pick. Pumping like his tires. Had, he had the swag about him too that rubbed guys the wrong way a little bit. Nice kid, and I'm, sh- I'm sure mm-hmm. he's he's uh, you know obviously he's carved a nice, nice career path for himself. But at the time, our 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 older our leaders were uh, Gianta and Georges, mm-hmm. and cool. and it, it was like they made him give a, a heartfelt speech uh, apologizing <laughs> to <apologize laughs> into the team when he got back from Costa Rica with this beautiful tan, and we we're in the. <laughs> The Buffalo winter <laughs> grinding <laughs> last snow. place in the league. The uh, snow belt. Anyways, awesome. yeah, that it was, was uh, it, it it gets tricky if you try to go on yeah. vacation on those yeah, holidays. It definitely yeah. does.
3: I've done tricky. the old Christmas. Have you done Christmas, Batesy, in um in an, well, I mean scouting, they probably let you take it off, but I remember doing Christmas in Czech Republic for world juniors. Like
1: yeah. it's so
3: condensed there that you just get you gotta get over there and kind of it was it yeah. was odd.
1: From an amateur side, well, even in, it doesn't matter on the pro side as well. A lot of guys will elect to bring their families, depending on where the the World Junior is, right? Because the World Junior mm. starts the day after uh, the day after Christmas. So obviously, the players, you know, depending on what country that the the World Junior is in, the players got to be there even before. And, and Strader obviously has first-hand experience with that, but a lot of the scouts will bring their families and and that's essentially like the Christmas present, you know, they'll, right. they'll make a vacation of it, which is great. It, Merry it's... Christmas. We're going to Czech Republic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. But, uh, but, but that, you know, that's one component of it for Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving, it kind of worked out well for my family and me a lot of times because we would typically have Thanksgiving in Morristown, New Jersey at my wife's aunt's uh, family's house. So, you know, I could usually catch, uh, when I was doing pro, I could usually catch, hopefully, if, if the schedule allowed it, um, you know, a game at, at the Devils, hit MSG or the Island, and then shoot over. There were always a couple of college games, typically on that Tuesday or Wednesday night before, so I would try to work those in. And then the day after, though, the day after Thanksgiving, I was, you know, typically heading out west because there are always a lot of college tournaments around there. The Shillelagh tournament at Notre Dame was a big one. Um, mm-hmm. one year, actually I was there and I, I got a phone call. It was actually the year, Mitch, you got traded on Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving day. You remember that? Oh yeah. Uh, and you yeah. and I were talking, we, you got traded to LA. You and I were yeah. talking that night and while we were on the phone, I got, I started getting all these text messages, alert alerts from Delta saying that my flight was canceled. And I was originally going to go out of Newark, New Jersey, which was fine. Cause it was 20, 25 minutes at like seven o'clock in the morning. And then I ended up getting, switch to LaGuardia, which was an, getting to LaGuardia from Morristown, New Jersey is a nightmare. So it, it was just planes, trains, and automobiles getting out there. But you, you, you do what you can, Farkey, to be honest with you, to answer your question, you do what you can to try to build the schedule around around your personal time if, if you can.
2: Farky, you're going to love this one. So I get traded, American Thanksgiving Day. Ends, I end up talking to beatsy at some point that night. I'm flying out the next morning at 6 a.m. And no, it was right before Thanksgiving, Betsy. It was the Wednesday. Uh, no, so no, it we, wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, hear me no, out. No, it was
1: not. Hear. You're you're wrong. You were traded on
2: Thanksgiving Day. He, hear me out. Hear me out. He probably knew prior,
1: and you knew <laughs> after the fact. What <laughs> piece? He, yeah. tra- he was trading for a bag of pucks. He was trading for a bag of pucks. Like it wasn't this complicated deal. <laughs> got a good deal. washing was like, machine for him. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like he's on an expiring deal. Parkey, it was veteran. a blockbuster. What? It was no. Bl- you were traded for what? A, a conditional pick. A conditional pick. Those are important. Those are valuable. <laughs> Straighter. to trade, Farky.
2: <laughs> so, talk to Batesy on the phone. Fly. Uh, you know, I wasn't I was I wasn't playing much in Montreal. The writing was on the wall. I was in and out of the lineup. I think I played 10 of the first 20 games to start that season. Expiring contract. We had some really young players that were going to take my spot very easily, seamlessly. And, um, I call them. I was disappointed. Obviously, I, was, I had a great time in Montreal and I'm from there. Um, I get to uh, I meet the team in Detroit and they don't have my U.S. work visa like established. So I can't play. So I practice with the team. I pregame skate with the team that morning. I go back to the hotel hoping that I'm going to get cleared by U.S. Customs us customs is on uh thanksgiving break so go figure i am in the d de- what hotel do we stay in detroit is it the marriott downtown uh, probably or? the
1: westin the downtown westin. We westin. stayed at the mgm Damn. right at the casino
2: oh yeah yeah <laughs> anyways we stayed at the westin farky i was there for a week a week <laughs> by myself waiting to get this work visa Um, the team had played four more games. They were in St. Louis (laughs) there in wherever. Yeah. And I ate, I ate at the same pizza place every night. I had, I had a guy knew my, my glass of wine order and I had my pizza, my margarita pizza dinner every night, 6. PM walked across the street. Detroit's a little sketchy at times, made it to the pizza place, came back, did my thing. I had, uh, I think I spent seven nights in the hotel by myself. when to get my work visa because Go figure. Americans don't work on Thanksgiving. Makes sense.
0: (laughs) That is a great story. I can't get over Batesy trying to, to clown you about the conditional pick. I'm still trying. If we want to get back at Batesy, Batesy said like five minutes ago, he used to go to New Jersey and spend Thanksgiving with his wife's aunt's family. Wouldn't yeah. that just be your wife's family? Did we really your wife's aunt's family? It's all the same, isn't it? Tomato, tomato,
1: okay? Tomato, tomato, you know? Well, oh, if, I was
0: going to let it slide, but if you're going to call out Mitch on the conditional pick thing, I got to call you out on the the wrong family tree hierarchy
2: from the top rope my wife has got no response
1: wow you know what i'm not it's okay guys i've got better things to do down here in paradise all right how's the all he wanted to do
2: all he wanted to do is spend the holidays in new york city he could have just told the truth right off the hop
3: hey what a tough goal for you though mitch huh you get traded to la but you gotta stay in detroit for a week (laughs) oh
2: it was a grind
0: do you still get the game checks for the games you weren't a part of
2: no i got nothing I got, I got, I got a little, I got a little uh, email from the strength coach to go down into this tiny little gym in the Weston and do this little workout. I rode the bike a few times. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, will, I will say this. It is important to like, that's that what Tori is talking about is a component of the game that people don't realize, right? Like he's a Canadian citizen. He gets traded from a Canadian organization. He has to go through all the checks and balances of, of, of applying for a work yeah. visa you know, yeah. that, that is something that is challenging. And, and you know, just because he's a pre- professional athlete, uh, they're not going to open their doors outside of uh, outside of the window that that they have to do the proper paperwork that sure. it's, it, it's like it's like that for every every player. Like every time you draft yeah. a player right from that is not a U.S. Re- resident by a U.S. team. You have to go through all of all, and it costs a lot of money, you know, to get mm-hmm. a work visa, all that stuff. So those are expenses that a lot of people probably don't realize uh, that an organization has to cough up.
0: You and had already sh- been in the system, though. That's the thing. Like you played yeah. a bunch of years in the U.S. It's not just something that you can. Do. Okay, we know who this guy is. We just activate <laughs> this box and we're good.
2: No, you think they they'd slide me through the cracks? Good law abiding ca- Canadian citizen? No, they treat <laughs> me like what? A Russian? Like a
1: Russian. <laughs> and, like, and you know,
2: they, you, you you're you're were red flagged.
1: In. In the, Mitch, the, re- the real reason why it took seven days was because you were red flagged in the system. Jeez. <laughs> <No> <laughs> we had a
3: player, um a European player that had to get his visa renewed this year. And this year was obviously, you know, somewhat of a shit show because of COVID with with customs and with work visas so in order to get it done the quickest they had to send him like he came from i don't remember maybe Slovakia or what whatnot but he had to fly to like punta cana first or something <laughs> oh and he had to stay there for a week because that was going to be the quickest way he got a visa get get into punta cana get his visa and then so no he way. hung out on the beach for a week <laughs> and uh then came to training camp and got in
0: shape i'm like wow that's pretty <laughs>
1: life in the <laughs> nhl is tough
0: over here
2: it's <laughs> yeah, right? detroit
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, um,
0: that's great. I got a lot of stuff I want to get to on the Islanders, and Batesy's very excited about the Islanders back in, you know, right in Nassau County where they belong. But uh, I wish we had Chris Kramer on today. It was episode five a couple of weeks ago. We had Chris Kramer, the uniform expert, on. A couple of uniforms came out last week that caught my eye. Straighter, I'll keep you out of this for a second because you're too close <laughs> to it all. But the Devil's third alternate jersey, all black with white stripes and no red not a fan and mitch (laughs) team canada's olympic jerseys with a black maple leaf and they have an all black alternate i get black is the thing now it's sleek it looks cool but team canada with an all black alternate as a native canadian how do you feel about them wearing these potentially in the olympics
2: they go black it's when they come out on the ice it's a little more intimidating i think the the black I understand that, it but it's it's you, you look over and it's Team Canada number one team in the world and there, it's okay, whoa, I think that's what they're going for. That's at least typically what Canadians think when they throw the black jerseys on. They've done it in the world Juniors. they've done it in the Olympics before the black jerseys, but I, I, I would look at that record, Farkey, and I bet there aren't too many Ls on in the uh, L column. <laughs>
1: Is hold on real quick because I don't think I've seen these all black team Canada jerseys. Are is the maple leaf black too or is the maple leaf red? I'm gonna it's have to. Uh, I'm gonna look
3: it
0: up as we speak
1: right now. But uh, I, talk I amongst believe. yourselves.
3: I believe it's red, uh, but like I think I'm with you, Mitch. I think that if they're done the right way, black jerseys can be very intimidating. I still remember in college. Do you remember? Did you ever play against um North Dakota when they wore their blacks? That no, a, but that was an intimidating uniform. I'm not like I bet. and they had Taves and Oshi on the other side and stuff. So you're just like, oh boy, this is gonna be a long night, right? Our team stunk at the time. So yeah. I always if they're done the right way, they they really are. They can be like it, it mentally can get you.
0: The three uniform combos for Canada are white sweater with black pants and a red maple leaf. That's one. Two is red tops. I don't see the bottoms. I presume they're black, black maple leaf, and then all black with red writing so red maple leaf
2: also yeah they they so they've i mean uh i'm thinking of black jerseys of different years i mean the world juniors have had black a bunch of times and especially if they're they're playing at home you guys uh, obviously have scouted the world juniors before i mean it's like these kids are just on speed when they get out on the ice the first five minutes of the game. So oh, yeah. you, you picture the crowd and the black uniforms and, and the level of play of that team. And it's like, Whoa, it's, it's intimidating.
3: We definitely should get into that, you know, around Christmas time about like Canada just amazes me. You know, I obviously mine was over in Czech Republic and like how they travel their fan days travels. It's yeah. like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, all
2: these people came here to watch the
3: world <laughs> Junior championships. Yeah, oh, it's
2: it's a cult following at Christmas oh, time. That incredible. world juniors tournament. I mean, it was like, it, we, I remember planning our Christmas around you know the Boxing Day first game on the 26th. It was like, okay, like let's get through Christmas so we can watch Team Canada play. Like it was, it's so huge up there, Bates. You know,
1: I was in Vancouver for the World Junior a few years ago, and. You know, to, to go to, and be in that environment, to be in, in, in an NHL city where everything shuts down, everything is oh. focused around when Team Canada is playing their next game. It is, it, as crazy. much as I'd love to chirp Canada and, and Mitch it's specifically, cool. I've got nothing but respect for how they handle that because no, it's, it's amazing. Really, it is really impressive. It's, really, w- and it's fun. It's really fun.
0: Yeah. I was wrong about it, by the way. The black jerseys have
1: a black maple leaf. Farkey, okay, so that's brutal. First of all, Farky, I need to we need to have a little chit chat here because you're yeah, like we are a, we expect you to deliver when we need you. Okay. And right now you're not. All right. So well, elevate you know. your game a little bit. just look at the sign, elevate. All yeah, right. Use that your as game. your motto. Hey. All right. I
0: just a black maple leaf isn't the Olympics about your colors and all? That? don't save me the I, intimidating
1: I for that but like wearing I your agree. own country's colors would I be agree. nice this is where I'm going to chirp Canada I could not I could <laughs> not agree more like a maple leaf that is black is a. it's dead right oh no. it's dead. Hey, now. it's dead it's hey. dead that's a fact he makes, he makes a good color, point here. If it turns <laughs> color, it is no longer alive. So I think you've got a, a little bit of an issue here, Mitch. Yeah. Figure it if out. they go
2: if they go orange, because when the leaves fall off, they're almost like a crumbly <laughs> orange. That's when I'd be really worried. Black I can still do.
0: I can't wait to talk about the Olympics in a couple of months. But right now we got mm-hmm. more immediate issues to talk about. Uh the Islanders. The Elevate 2 podcast is brought to you in part. By Frank Crum. Frank Crum is a professional employer organization that partners with businesses to assist with human resources, workers' compensation insurance, risk management, employee benefits, and payroll administration. When you partner with Frank Crum, you are increasing your profits, productivity, saving a ton of time, and reducing your liability and cost. They are unique to the PEO industry because they own their own workers' compensation carrier. Frank Winston Crum Insurance, and they work with difficult industries like construction, roofing, plumbing, electricians, and even some trucking. Visit frankcrum.com and tell them Elevato2 sent you. And if you're an insurance agent or broker, visit frankcrum.com to hear how you can offer Frank Crumb's PEO services to your clients. The Islanders are back where they belong. They're back in Nassau County, they're back on the island permanently. And this has been years in the making. Nassau Coliseum, Barclays Center. Now back to Uniondale. Now we're at UBS Arena. And Batesy, I saw you on social media. You grew up in Long Island. As I recall,
1: you were tickled to death about this. I am. I'm really excited. The Islander fans, they deserve it. You think of that program or program, you think of that organization and the, and the yeah, I know, right. <laughs> you think of that organization and the history surrounding it, right. Four straight Stanley cups, 19 straight playoff victories. That is a record in sports that I don't know if you'll, you'll ever break. Um, and wow. those fans yeah. have waited a long time for a new building, right? They, They tried the lighthouse project about 15 years ago. That didn't work. That failed because of, of issues with the County. Uh, Then they tried to move to Brooklyn and straighter can attest firsthand how that worked. That, that did not, that did not go over well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they went back to the Coliseum after some renovations and kind of brought that alive. But to see them actually get get a new permanent home and know that it's you know $1.5 billion facility, 23,000-square-foot dressing room, that, that is something that they deserve. Um, and, and the fans really deserve it. Now, I don't know if, if paying 17 bucks a beer is really the, the best uh, recipe for, uh, for success from a fan's perspective, but awesome, awesome place. Uh, I've not been yet. Strader has, but I've got a lot of buddies who went. I, I remember growing up and going to Nassau Coliseum and thinking that place was awesome right? Like being eight, nine, 10 years old and thinking that Nassau County Veterans Memorial Coliseum was, was just the, the Mecca of the hockey world. And then I grew up a little bit and realized, wow, this, this place is is not great. Yeah. I I went, when I interned for the Islanders in college, it was, uh, the summer of Oh six or seven, something like that. And, um, uh, I used to go in I parked the same area and um, walk in the same entrance and the, the the the, offices were known as nicknamed the dungeon right they were down the stairs straighter down the hall by the by the dressing oh, room. I've been to them Dun- yeah,
3: exactly. And, <laughs> nothing to ride home about. Right, exactly. So nothing I go to, to
1: ride home about. Nothing to ride home about, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, go, um, I w- go to walk in, and this guy, the same guy worked there. I think his name was Norm. Um, and he stopped me. He said, uh, Jonathan, you can't go in today. I said, Well, um, okay, why? We had a bad rainstorm the night before. And he just opened the door a little bit. The entire concourse was flooded. I mean, no. oh, dude, like we're talking six inches of water. Uh, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like what am I going to do? He goes, well, you're just you, you, somebody will call you, whatever. So I went back home and they, they had the wet, the shop facts, the wet facts out. So did some work from from where I was living at the time. And um, the next day I go in and <laughs> straighter, you know, you're going back towards the GM's like Snowy's office. Yes. You're walking down that long hallway. And on the left is a copy room, like big, like ten thousand dollar copy machine. And the roof had caved in and and all of that the the that whatever that substance is from the roof covered the entire copy machine. Ten thousand dollar copier. <laughs> done. Thanks for coming. It, it was like, okay, we need a new building here. Wow. Yeah.
0: The new the new arena
1: is in Elmont. NASA yep.
0: Coliseum's in Uniondale. How close are they to each other?
1: Uh depending on traffic, you yeah. know, it could be ten minutes, it could be an hour, but um, you know, probably Eight to ten miles at most. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was
3: took me. So I stayed at the Long Island Marriott, and it took me twenty five minutes at game time. But it is close. I remember. So I I lived in Minneola when I was playing there, and it was like I used to go to Belmont Park all the time. It's a cool place, right, in the springtime uh, when the well ponies are running. So it usually would only take me from over there. I mean, there's a lot of lights on. I think it's twenty five Jericho Turnpike there. Usually it only take like ten minutes to get down there. But yeah, I mean the traffic was. Traffic wasn't actually too bad getting in um, for the first night. The parking lot situation was was something Should that, show. Um, yeah, I'm sure, Batesy, I'm sure some of your friends have talked about it. So they put the parking lot, and I don't know if it's a temporary parking lot, right? The US, UBS arena is gorgeous, and I think it's kind of the model of what every new arena will be. It's got the low ceiling. The press box that you're sitting in is literally like the ceiling is here. You can almost touch it the bowl, the lower bowl is like fanned out. It's really big so that basically they can keep the ceiling down. They can get the fans in there. And it really had that feeling of like an intimate small building like the Nassau Coliseum had, but it's a new place. It's not, I think the, you know, the norm of the TD garden and uh, Buffalo and all these other ones with the really high ceilings. And you feel like you're, you're a mile up there. I think those, those days are gone. I think this is what it's going to look like. Eventually, when teams start building new arenas, but that was gorgeous. The parking lot situation, they might have been constructing a garage next door, and it's still not done. But I I have to believe the parking lot situation is temporary. It's on the other side of the track. It's a 25-minute walk from your car to get in, and they had buses shuttling people over. That was... Really, the only issue, and for a scout, that was a big issue because you know, you know how it goes, right? You're leaving around the five minute mark, and it's like, How am I gonna beat all the fans out of here? <laughs> I gotta walk 25 minutes over the
1: parking lot, you know? So, yeah, my, my yeah, buddy that, George, that my, my buddy George Primrose, he's he took his son to night one straighter when you were there, and he said he parked over a, almost a mile and a half away and huh? they had to walk after the game. He said oh. that was that was brutal, but um you know hopefully that is what they're constructing next door is a garage but aside from that you know fans deserve it man they really deserve it i'm i'm really happy for them down on long island i can't wait to check it out um and uh and and see what the atmosphere is like
2: I, I remember Batesy, so in 2008 like you and a couple of our other UVM friends came down to watch right in uh at the coliseum and this sticks out for me now that you brought now that we're talking about it I, we had played in all these obviously away rinks i don't know how deep it was into the season at least 30 40 games into the season san jose was making their one trip to to the aisle. and you know we stayed in all the uh, pretty pretty much all the western rinks away visitors rinks as a rookie you know i still had a decent seat in the locker room but that coliseum i was picking between like getting dressed in the bathroom <laughs> where, where, where the equipment guys set up my stall or the hallway where You deserve it where, where, where I just where the where the rookie <laughs> schmelz deserve to get dressed. Right. But that was it. It was so tight. And then, you know, I was basically like getting dressed in the hallway or the bathroom and then play the game and then go up and, you know, say hi to, to, to Batesy and all of our other friends. And I was I was thinking, man. They think life in the bigs is like you know someone's massaging my feet before getting dressed and stuff. And no, no, I'm in the bathroom getting <laughs> dressed before the game. But uh, that, that there was that rink. And what was the old Pittsburgh rink? Oh, what, Mellon, oh the right? Mellon Oh, yeah. I mean the Mellon, I all well, there's four or five of us in the hallway getting dressed. Yeah. I mean the away locker rooms were they didn't they didn't hold enough stalls for the team. <laughs> there yep. was like twenty stalls, and but there's twenty. 23, 24 guys getting dressed, but anyways, that's what I remember about the Coliseum is I was oh. just a schmelt in that locker room, just a rookie <laughs> schmelt.
0: I have a follow-up to kind of best and worst away cities to play and et cetera. I want to do that in a bit, but straighter, I'm always fascinated about what the dynamic is like when a team is about to leave a place, and I understand that the Islanders were relatively in the same market, so it's not the same as you know the Cleveland Browns leaving before they go to Baltimore, or the Sonics leaving before they go to Oklahoma City, or the oilers you know before they go to nashville whatever so it's not quite the same but what was it like that last year at the coliseum before you go to the Barclays center because you had one year at the barclay center right uh
3: one or two maybe one maybe one yeah no it was it's different and they bounced around obviously since then but you know what i remember exactly is uh, i got there there was a lot of talk about the lighthouse project it didn't go through and it, honestly I give the islanders uh, a ton of credit. They had a whole, um, you know, kind of video for Charles Wong, who was uh, before they opened up this building, you know, kind of the visionary of what their new building would look like. He wanted to put it over, obviously, where uh, Nassau Coliseum was. It didn't go through because the county kind of shut it down. But when I got there, that was the talk. The lighthouse project's going to happen. They're going to build this beautiful building with, you know, all these shops and restaurants around. Kind of like what Patriot Place is, right? Hmm. Um, that didn't happen. The county shut it down and then we're stuck in Nassau Coliseum and they don't really know what they're going to do. So he's like, you know, his hands are tied. We have to go to Brooklyn the last year in the call Col- It felt like the last year, like this is it never coming back. Like, even though there was a lot of up in the air about the situation, um, and so, in the, the fans and us, like like what Mitch just talked about, like we use that to our advantage. Like we had some good teams when I was there, and like it was a shithole, but it was our shithole. You know what I mean? And it was tough to play there. It was really tough. yeah, it was. teams hated teams hated going in there, especially in the playoffs. I still yeah. remember that series against Pittsburgh when we first made the playoffs. Oh my god! Like this, play, I've never heard a crowd like that in my life. It was in. And then the second time we went, we ended up playing um, Washington in the first round. And that was the year that we we were shutting her down. And, you know, it was emotional, I think, for everybody, for us, because we knew we were going to a new building, but for the fans, especially, I mean, you know, a place that they all grew up in, like, you hear a lot of these fans talk about, you know, they load the station wagon up and go 10 minutes down the road and go, go to a hockey game. And it wasn't going to be like that going to Brooklyn anymore. And I mean, you had people ripping seats out of the stands at the time. It was, it no was way. pretty,
1: yeah, it was pretty intense. It was, it was a unbelievable atmosphere to be a part of. I was actually at that, that 12 o'clock Washington game, that playoff game. I was at it and people, I literally, like I was emotional over it because like yeah. I said, I grew up going to games there. My dad would take me when, when we lived on long Island. So I saw people start, you know, tailgating beforehand. And I, I was just walking up and down the parking lot aisles. kind of like, man, like, it, this Nothing is really like bitter. Yeah, there really isn't. This is this is bittersweet. You know, this is bittersweet. Sorry, continue what you were saying. I no, I it just, in there. it was, it, honestly, it, it really,
3: like, that was a special time in my life, especially playoffs there. Um, I still remember, you know, Garth Snow had us all stay at the Long Island Marriott before our playoff games before, um, against the, uh, Pittsburgh that first year that we made the playoffs in quite a while. And you wake up at the Long Island Marriott, you know, it's right across the parking lot from the arena, 8 a.m. on game day, games at 7 o'clock, parking lots full, people are tailgating. I'm like, oh, no way. Like, like, as as we're going to pregame skate, we're like, this is insane. Like, people were like, absolutely love the aisle there. Um, they love the team. They love everything that, you know, Nassau Coliseum stood for. So it was it was very tough. And I think this is kind of a really nice middle point between a nice brand new arena that's not completely off the island. You know what I mean? And I think people are really going to love it.
2: Why all the passion for hockey in Long Island? Just random question here, if anyone has an answer.
3: <laughs> Why? I, I think it's the, the only sport you talk about that? it, but I think it probably goes back to the cops, right?
1: Well, that has a lot to do with it, obviously, um, but I think that it's, um, it's really the first time, and this is, this is my opinion, I, I can't say for sure, but it's really the first time that, that a professional sports team identified with Long Island and not New York City, sure. right? Okay. So that, that really was big, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, the New York Mets yeah. play in Flushing, but they're the New York Mets, mm-hmm. um, and, and of course, the Islanders are the New York Islanders. However, you look at you look at their logo and it's literally the uh, the shape of the island. And it's it really looked to take on the persona of of the location it was in. So I think that that's something that really resonated amongst the fan base and helped it grow kind of or- organically. Um, <laughs> I'm married to a New Yorker and, and she is very passionate and her family is very passionate about where they come from. And um, and that's something that's true for for everybody around there. And so I think that that's really why that that fan base grew to love that team and organization for such a long time.
0: Straighter was it a distraction for you guys when you were playing there, all this arena stuff? Was it a distraction, something you guys thought about? Uh, Brooklyn
3: was a bit of a distraction just because of the logistics of getting in there. We were still all living out on the island. You know, home games felt like road games to us. And it's so funny that Batesy talks about long Islanders and I absolutely, they are the most passionate fans and love them to death. And it's, it's so funny. Like you don't understand the mentality there until you live there. It's like long Island is the center of the universe and like whatever's off it. You don't know what's going on. So like for them, the move to Brooklyn was like, wow, like we lost that, that that might as well have been Carolina, right? Like we lost Uh, like, that's how they felt. And I think, Bringing it back a little bit closer, right? Closer to Belmont Park. I think that really um, was important for the actual, you know, the the longstanding Islanders fans. I understand what the Brooklyn thing was all about, but it's really been such a great, a great building and a great spot for them to uh, put it. Just got to figure out the parking. That's it. (laughs) In time, in time, in time. The,
1: take public transportation. Take public transportation.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's the other issue right now. They haven't ironed
0: <laughs> that up. That's why.
3: <laughs> Once they iron that out, it'll be okay.
0: I wanted to ask this question. Um, okay, so it didn't work in Brooklyn You know, the fan support was different there. That's probably part of it, obviously. But also, it just wasn't reportedly a good place to watch a game as a fan. Now, I never saw a game, basketball or hockey, at the Barclays Center. I've only been there one time, actually. I don't know if commissioned is the right word, but my buddy got sworn into NYPD, and I went to that ceremony. So that was the only time I've ever been to the Barclays Center, and I thought it was great from what I was doing there. But, Batesy, as someone who's spent a career watching games, what was it like to watch a game at the Barclays Center?
1: It was tough. It was tough. I mean, the press box was up in the, in the far upper deck corner. And when I say press box, it was literally a table spread out over the last two rows. It (laughs) literally like some folding tables um, that you'd see at a backyard picnic. They, they unfolded played beer pong on them. Yeah, precisely. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Eight eight feet in regulation. Um, So, uh, so that was really kind of how they set it up. And, And the vantage point, you know, you're in the corner you're kind of looking at an awkward angle. Um, I bounced around that arena when they, they played actually New Jersey, New Jersey. doesn't matter who they play, but I think they played New Jersey an exhibition game uh, when they were first going there. And I went to it and I was one of like maybe six or seven people in the entire arena. And I was kind of popping around to try and see the different angles. And I think I probably sat in 10 different seats. And of those 10, maybe four gave me a full view of the ice. Uh mm. so that was a real challenge because it was built for basketball, you
2: know. Yeah. Um well they had that car.
1: Yeah, they had the they car in the that, in the corner,
2: right? Like Europe, right? That yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awful. What was exactly. that? What kind of car was that? I don't know. It was I a think nice like
1: a Lex- Lexus, maybe I don't know. A Lexus? It's yeah. so annoying. Nope. That car they, threw me off. Straighter, you should know you're the car guy of the podcast. They had um know. they remember they had the
3: seats behind right behind our goal that they were selling and they were selling for for big money, but they had like you couldn't actually see the goal. So Jeez. they sold them. They never actually checked the seats if they could if you could see the arena. <laughs> and before you know it, like people are like complaining about like we spent 300 bucks on tickets and we can't even see the full eyes.
0: <laughs> it was right.
3: insane. There was so many issues there.
0: Yeah, so many. Gotcha. yeah, it was
1: It was not a fun place to watch a hockey game.
2: No.
0: Mitch, I feel like we got to get you involved more here in the back half of this podcast. So you please were telling me, the, please don't. Please you don't. were telling, please. well, you know, as the fourth line center of this podcast, I got to get all the line mates involved. You were talking about places to play and and you know, the worst places to play in the leagues. So you guys were sharing stories. Mitch, from your experience, best city to play a game in. Whether I'll say best arena to play a game in first.
2: Montreal. Okay. Definitely Montreal. I would say uh that would be the general consensus amongst the players. I'm not going to speak on everyone, but I would straighter, I'd say Montreal, Chicago as well. Chicago was, uh, Chicago just has the, the, the national anthem where they're cheering the whole time. Everyone's staying up cheering during the national anthem. is so cool. It's amazing. Um, the atmosphere. And, and I was play- San Jose. We were playing against Chicago when they were winning the cops and stuff. So it was just, the atmosphere was incredible playing there. So I always enjoyed playing mm. in Chicago, but Montreal just has that, the the history and the the mecca of hockey. It was just, mm. it's got that different air about it. Uh, you know, when they put the, those old, you know, hockey tunes on in between, uh, in between stoppages of, of play. And it's just, it's got that different feel to it where there's just, you, you feel the history and it's such an educated fan that's watching the game. All, all the Canadian cities, you know, they're, they're cheering at the right time. They're cheering for the right things. They're booing at the right time. It's just, it's got a, a different feel playing in Montreal. Um, and I would say that's the general consensus amongst the players.
0: How about you, Strader? Favorite arena to play in? Um,
3: Montreal is easily in my top five. It's unbelievable. I love playing there. But sh- Chicago was incredible. Like, Chicago, when you went there, especially when they were rolling, winning cups and stuff, going to the playoffs, going to the uh, Western Conference every year, it's like, oh my god, like what it would be like to
2: play here every night. What a spot.
3: And then... I every, every straighter everyone yeah. in the
2: league knew that goal song too. Right?
1: Oh Mike that well. oh, even yeah. I know that goal song. Chelsea Dagger. Chelsea well, Dagger. I mean, you I know, we went in there with song. we, we went in
3: there with song. some bad teams, so <laughs> I had to hear it a lot. Yeah. I remember going in there and I think they hung like seven or eight on us, Marion Hosa blowing by me on <laughs> <laughs>
1: on
3: the wing. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a long night first. <laughs> um that place was incredible though. Like, like you said, the anthem and the, the goal song and just, you just like, yeah. Oh, you just get chills thinking about it. And then I always absolutely loved playing at MSG. I really did. Yeah. Um, that building was just so lively and full yeah. when you, when you get out there for warm ups. I still remember like, Sitting there. Uh, I think it was one of Thomas Vanek's first games with us. And we're, you know, we're just kind of sitting there during warm-ups standing around and we're just looking at each other. And he's like, don't you just love playing here? I'm like, I love playing here. This place is unbelievable. You just feel like you're on the big stage. You're on Broadway, right? Yeah.
1: Every arena places their scouts in different areas. Uh, Most are typically in the press box, but that's important from a scout's perspective, right? Because you want, everyone has a preference on how they like to watch a game I like East West. I like watching. I like if, if I had the, if I could sit anywhere in the building, I'd be sitting 20 rows up directly on the red line because that's where I felt like I could grasp the most information. Um, There are two buildings in the national hockey league that I really kind of got goosebumps before I would go to Um, one was the bell center in Montreal uh, because of all the things that Mitchell just talked about um, uh, specifically the history of the game and the history of that organization N two was was MSG. I mean, it's the world's most famous arena. I used to take the train down and you'd come in through Queens and you'd you'd bank around kind of in the northern part of the city and you'd see that Manhattan skyline out the window and you're like, you know, you're coming right into Penn Station You walk out, walk up the escalator, walk right into the building, up into the press box. and You're like, oh my gosh! And when you
2: like, so great. When you're walking to the locker rooms, they have all the pictures of all the uh, entertainers Mm -hmm. that have been on the big stage there. Right, like they got Garth Brooks, Celine Dion, and you know Jay Z. You name it, and it's it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. We're gonna play here now.
1: I, I will I will jump back, though, like from a scout's perspective, those two buildings are great, uh, especially the new MSG uh, up on the, the Chase, the Chase Club Lounge. Yeah, I really like sure. that. vantage Yeah, the, that's a great vantage point. Um, I really enjoy that. Um, but I will say one of my favorite places to watch a game in terms of grasping the most uh, from a scout, like in terms of who did what and how they played was Nassau Coliseum. I I think that vantage point was really, really good for me and not for everybody because you're, you're wedged in there like sardines, you know, like if you're much bigger than me and I'm not a big guy, like you're sucking it in to try and get down that aisle. But I really walked out of there every night feeling like I knew what everybody had done on the ice. Yeah, Mm. no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. I used to
3: love like watching the game there as a scout because you are, you're, you're over the ice, you're very close. And honestly, the new arena is very much like that, right? It's a great vantage point. But it was the the adversity you had to battle through up there. Remember they had the vent that, that <laughs> blows down on your head yeah. Like literally, <laughs> they put Lou must have – maybe Lou just started this when he got there. But they had the vent blasting on the scouts, and it's like maybe like blowing like 30-degree air. And this, <laughs> you're just freezing. Your, be, your hands are frozen. You're trying to write notes. I'm like, what is –
1: on, but Staples Center is cold like that too. That yeah,
2: press I heard is Detroit is really
1: low, uh, cold yeah. as well. But
2: the, you know, the old yeah. the old Detroit rink must have been uh, a good spot to watch games though. For unless, scout, oh, oh,
1: un, un, unle- unless you got the bathroom seat. Press box. Was, press <laughs> oh, box. I'm not kidding. Up there. It was oh, tight. But did you ever close. get? Did you ever yeah. get the, the the guys called the shitter seat?
3: Did you, did no, you ever get? No, I, I never seat? went there to scout. I, oh. I only went there in the press box
1: as a healthy I, scratch, which I usually I, was. So. I got. <laughs> I, I usually got the short end of the stick, right? Because I was always the young guy. And for, even when I was in the game for like eight, nine, ten years, guys would still rearrange the name places so that I got the crappy yep. seat. Literally, it's <laughs> literally. I mean, I'm I can touch this screen right behind me. That's how close you are to the to the bathroom.
2: You and hear that, guys? Ten years into his professional scouting career, he was still the rookie schmelt. Whoa, I love that. Geez, God. I love I know.
3: it. I know you have to put no, somebody out. else in their place at some point. <laughs> I, I,
1: I'd go th- I'd go there a handful of times, and I'd literally start. I'd try to get there first and sit down, and still, like if I went to grab like a a, <laughs> a, a bag of popcorn, I'd come back and I'd be in the the shitter seat. It was brutal. <laughs> oh, God. Great Perfect. ice there. Great ice. I'm, I'm a team guy, though. I'm a team guy. I took it. I took it.
0: <laughs> what was uh, the best city to play in? New York. That was New the York. spot when you knew you had a road trip. That When the schedule comes out, you're looking for New York first? Well,
2: well, the Western teams would come in and stay at a nice hotel in Manhattan for five days and play <laughs> you know, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils and stay at the same hotel. So it was... We always loved coming to New York because um, we knew we had five days basically in Times Square and some off days to enjoy the city a little bit. And
1: You would go to Times Square.
2: Typical <laughs> <laughs> tourist. Such a loser. Oh. Yeah, hey, let's uh, go
1: hang out at Bubba Gum Shrimp.
2: <laughs> <laughs> going to the ESPN zone today, guys. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, look, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The first uh, couple trips to New York, I, yeah. I just stood in Times Square. I thought it was a pretty big deal. But <laughs> uh, no, after that, I, I I ventured out to some the more the hipster the hipster areas. But no, it, uh, it it's got. I mean, New York. It's New York. When when do you get to spend five days that your work pays for in New York City in Manhattan? It's got a different air about it. There's nothing like New York City as a city. Nothing like it in North America. It's true.
0: See, I grew uh, up in New York State. I just I take New York City for granted. I don't like going to the city. Like yeah. I I am not a New York City guy. But again, I grew up so close to it that maybe it just became kind of jaded to me. But I wouldn't I would not pick New York as my first place to yeah. want to go see again. Yeah, yeah, so, but farky too close someone, to it. That's why someone
2: you're too yeah. close to it. But someone yes. your work gives you a, hey, here's five days. Yeah. You're gonna stay at the uh, Gansevoort <laughs> Hotel, five star hotel, hotel in Manhattan, and you're gonna get ninety five bucks in a day in per diem to go Eat at Nobu every night. Mm-hmm. You're gonna like New York City. I grew up
1: an hour outside Manhattan, and and I still love going there. I still mm-hmm. love going there. I don't know. But, I found
0: myself Wikipedia Edmonton the other day. Is Edmonton a cool place to go to? I don't know why I want to go there. <laughs> why,
1: why don't yeah, Why don't you go not. and you let us know? Go in January <laughs> or February. You let us know what you think uh, of Edmonton. Yeah.
3: yeah. No. I mean, yeah. like I like like Batesy, Like I lived right there. Honestly, me and my wife would go to dinner once a week in the city. It was great. I loved being close, but just what you're talking about, Brady, like you're too close to it. So you can't really appreciate it as much. I, I, now I do. I'm like, God, I love going to New York city, but on the road, there were so many good ones, like coming from out east, you know, like you're in the cold winter, like anywhere really.
0: It was good. Texas. Yeah, I would have thought great. L.A. or Dallas. Miami would have been the spot like uh, a lot of guys pick.
3: It's so pretentious out there sometimes. It's just like, I don't I don't know. It's not my favorite. I think Colorado might be my favorite. I Denver, used to love yeah. going to Denver, yep. staying at yep. Cherry Creek. Really that's nice. Yeah, yeah. There. Go oh, to Elways and oh, get a nice steak. Yeah. That place was
1: great. That was a really oh. good one. Straighter, <laughs> I once saw John Elway. At John Elway's Steakhouse. Well then, doesn't yeah. that make I, sense? Yeah, I was at the JW there in Cherry Creek, and it's literally like it's in the the shopping mall. You could walk there.
2: Just and creeping on there. Elway, were you? Yeah. I
1: I was I was total <laughs> fanboying. I was like, <laughs> so I, so and I was by myself. Strong. Yeah, I was by myself, and I'm sitting at the bar there, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and there's like people. Everyone's you know looking in one direction, so you know there's somebody famous. And it was it was John. It was Saturday night. It was John Elway, Jim Nance. And Tony Romo and a couple other people oh, having cool. dinner at John Elway Steakhouse, and uh, the next day they, they were uh, CBS was broadcasting the the Broncos and uh, and I think it was the Raiders, so it was wild. Though I was like John That's Elway cool. eats at John Elway's. Of I, uh,
0: <laughs> the Elevate 2 podcast is brought to you in part by Parkview Air Medical. Parkview Air Medical provides professional medical escorts consisting of fully certified ACLS trained paramedics, registered nurses, and physicians. These escorts accompany your patient, your family member, your friends on major commercial airlines. These transports can also be done via train and cruise ships for those who can't fly. They will assist you in making sure that the journey is safe and stress They'll coordinate the transportation needs to and from the airport along with wheelchair, seat-to-seat transfers, and baggage assistance. They will ensure a smooth bedside-to-bedside transition. You can learn more about Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. They've got a huge medical staff pool. They're able to meet those last-minute requests, and they can have an escort with you or your patient or family member in just a matter of hours, and they have access to visa procurement services also. It's Parkview Air Medical, online at parkviewairmedical.com. I've covered the Super Bowl four times. Um, I've never been to the game itself, but I've covered Radio Row the week leading up to it. It's like I've been out at Radio Row. I've been out at Super Bowl media night four times. The first time I went was in San Francisco was Carolina against Denver. And um, the first it was like Wednesday of Radio Row is like when everybody starts coming in Wednesday to Friday is nuts on Thursday there's a table. We had a table my station did. And then I looked around in all four directions and there was Jerry Rice. There was Troy Aikman. There was Richard Sherman, Jim Harbaugh and Gronk like on each side of me there. And then I was next to a station from San Antonio and they were a Cowboys station. And all of a sudden Dat win, who's a former Cowboys linebacker was sitting down doing a radio show. And To was popped next to him doing, doing a radio spot two feet away from me. The next year I went, we were in Houston and I was next to a station from Dallas and Emmett Smith shows up and he's, he brings a bottle of tequila to the guys from Dallas. So Emmett's sitting down next to me there. And then I ate lunch at the table with Troy Aikman one
2: year. You, you, uh, must, have ju- you must have been just. I'm, I'm listening to you. You must have been just sucking your thumb or something. <laughs>
1: no, no. you know what all those tables were saying? They're like, "That's Brady Farkas of the Brady <laughs> Farkas. Right? Yeah. The the where, only- can I, where can I? Where can I buy a sweatshirt? Yeah, they're walking up to you. Can I get your sweat? Yeah. Look at that. Oh my god. <laughs> the
0: only time I ever had like an aha moment was the first year I was there, there was my media idol, which was Colin Coward, and Ken Griffey Jr. were right next to each other, right next to me. That was the only time I was like, oh, shit, this is fucking awesome. But cool. So that was the only time that it ever got to me like that. The, uh, there was one year where – so you go to Radio Row, you have your own table. But I was my only show. So I had four spots at my table – but only me there, so my table was always empty except for my stuff. So all these people would have all these entourages, and they would all come down and sit at my table while they're talking to other people. So Eric Dickerson sits down at my table and he's like, "Hey, do you mind if I use this?" I'm like, "No, not if you sign my uh, banner here that I'm taking back here to, to <laughs> my, sell for charity." I, I, so my
2: forehead. Sign
1: I was for a good cause. It
0: was, for a, good, it was oh. for a good cause. So uh, Eric Dickerson ended up signing that, and then another guy some like third string tight end on the Cardinals was supposed to talk to me and he blew me off and his agents like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do to make it better? I'm like, yeah, you're representing that hall of famer. Tell him to come and talk to me and we made it up that way. So I don't remember who that was, but, uh, radio row is fun. It's, uh, it's a good trip. I got so, yelled at once by Marcus Cannon of the Patriots at, uh, at radio row. He was a jerk to me at one point, but, uh, <laughs> I got Trey Flowers of the Pats to, to give a shout-out to my then-girlfriend, now-fiance, so that was cool. Radio Row is awesome. I love that place. That's cool.
2: That is cool. <laughs> Sounds like fun. When are we going?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, this we- year it's in L.A. COVID <laughs> protocols are probably going to dictate we can't go, but maybe the Elevate 2 podcast can uh, make a return to Miami, Atlanta. I don't remember when the one after L.A. is. I do want to put a bow. Two things we got to get to. One, Batesy's going to end the show with a tribute that's uh, on a very serious note, so we'll get to that momentarily. But... As this podcast comes out, it's going to be December 1st. Okay. It comes out on Wednesday, December 1st. So we're going to be almost two full months into the season. Everybody will have played at least a quarter of their schedule by that point. Is December 1st the time when you start to kind of know who you are, good or bad? Is that the time on the calendar where you're like, okay, now things are coming into focus?
2: Yeah, I, I, for, I, just from the player's perspective, uh, that month of December... It's 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 not make or break, but it sets you up for the big playoff push um, after the trade deadline. Uh, so it's kind of you know you're two months in the season, you're you're finding your, your identity could already be found. You know the changes uh, as far as lineups are usually you know on the on the playoff bound teams are usually you know they're not as prevalent in the month of December. Like you got your team. These are the guys you're going to battle with every night. I would say, I would say it's. I I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to say what your guys' perspective is, but it's one of. I mean, every month is important, but December's. You're you're playing a lot of games. I remember playing almost fourteen or fifteen games in December. I don't know if it's still like that on every schedule, but it's a month that can really set you up for a big playoff push.
1: In my opinion, yes, December one is the check date with with. One exception, you know, a few years ago, um, St. Louis was in last place on um, right. January third or fourth or fifth, whatever it was, and then they went on to win the Stanley Cup. Um, that that is very, very, very impressive. but it, it, you typically have a really, really good idea of what your your team is, who they are, their identity, and where they're going by December one, and you got to start making plans for the trade deadline. but but yeah, to, to answer your question, nine times 99 times out of a hundred it's it's december one in my opinion i'd give it a little more
3: length maybe right right around christmas right right around the new year is when you kind of can figure out what exactly a team is going to be I, I think you give them through december but there's nothing's a finished product let's be serious like you know you're, you're only setting yourself up for better percentage point of making the playoffs or making a run or whatever and as st louis proved to all of us you, it doesn't matter until uh Till the whole season is played, and I know I'm not good for sports media, right? It's just uh, I don't. I think it's like ridiculous that you have to talk about it week by week. This team's going to be great. Edmonton's the best team in
1: the league, and it's just like well, well we can see how it all plays out. I love straighter. the optimism <laughs> optimism out of Strader though. He's such like a glass half full guy. You know, he's just like <laughs> no,
3: when, it know, you, to, when it comes to when it comes to sports, man. You just keep grinding away and see yeah. until until the buzzer goes it's true. off,
0: right? The best piece of advice I ever got in sports media and if you're going to if you're going to do the media thing with us and be a media mogul you need to realize this. The show is today. Okay? <laughs> I don't get to walk away for 3 months and then come back and tell you what happened. I have yeah, to but... talk every single day about what's going on. So that is why you get this reactive every single night thing. The show is today. If I could take six months off my job in August and then come back in February and talk to you about the NFL season, I would love that. But I can't. I got to talk every day about it. Farky, Mitch made a career of that. Come on. <laughs> the
3: fact that you just said on this show that your idol is Colin Coward, I know exactly what I'm working with now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, yeah,
3: you can be that guy and I'll be I'll be kind of the yin to your yang,
0: right? Mitch, talk to me a little bit about line pairings when they get changed up. I was listening to Bruce Cassidy talk, you know, a week ago about changing up the Bruins' D pairings and people talking about maybe breaking up the top line to spread out the scoring in Boston. If you're changing the lines, one, look, it could be an infusion of energy. It could be an act of desperation. But how do you look at it from a player standpoint when you have guys who you've played with and now there's some tinkering going on?
2: Oh, I mean, there there aren't many lines that stay intact. I mean, I'm thinking. Uh, Bergeron and Marchand, you know, there's, there's always guys drive, drive side old McDavid. They always end up finding each other, going back to the coaches always end up going back to that. But uh, as far as a player, you roll with the punches. I mean, you, you gotta be able to play with everyone, especially nowadays uh, where, you know, there isn't that, that gap in skill between like the third and fourth line. Like you really have 12 forwards on every team now that are capable and you see some of the top teams. I'm, I'm even thinking of St. Louis when they won the Cup that year. Those guys were pretty interchangeable, at least the forwards. Uh, all 12 of them were, you know, they, they, there's obviously chemistry and stuff that, that, you know, they maybe the coach sticks them uh, together, same lines for, if you could last two games with the same lines nowadays, that's impressive, I would say. <laughs> I mean, it switches over like crazy. Uh, you know, it, it could be, I remember Todd McClellan in San Jose. It was easy as... One period, maybe maybe half a period, ten minutes. Something's a little off. He's switching the lines right away. Um, you know, just just to you know. And plus, uh, the other thing is, it's so refreshing. Um, if if you are on a little losing streak, two or three games, and then you show up to the rank and the lines are juggled, it gives you that like, okay, I got some new line mates. Let's let's fucking do this, boys. Let's let's last three games together. You know, let's last <laughs> uh-huh. ten games together. So the only time that happened in my career where I stayed with the exact same two guys, um, I'm thinking was we started like 11 and 0 one season in Montreal, and it was like he just could not change a line. He couldn't do it. We just kept winning somehow, um, and he just and then you know we started getting some losing streaks, and the lines were just rotating like crazy. But for the most part, um, you know you got to be able to play with everyone. Coaches, I mean, they'll change every. Ten minutes sometimes. Crazy. Yeah. I actually
3: have a good story on this because I was sitting next to a scout having a beer at, after a game the other day, and um, he was an ex-coach uh, for the Isles, and he was telling me about you know his time there, and and you know he worked with Mike Milbury and Charles came in to Milbury's office when the coach was in there, and he was like, Charles just said Charles Wong, the owner. So yeah. why don't we? And he was into baseball, right, Charles? He's like, why don't we do what they do in baseball, where you just keep, you know, the same lineup like that for like 25 games and just see how it irons up. <laughs> and he was just like, I couldn't <laughs> believe he said this just because like that's just not how hockey is. It goes against all coaching principles basically. And by 25 games, if it ain't clicking, you know, like chemistry is – that, like you're not making playoffs. You can't make any kind of push whatsoever. So like hockey is just so different where it's more of a field sport for the coaching yeah. staff and feel out how the momentum's going, who's playing well, who needs somebody to kind of pick them up. And um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's, like, really important. And that makes a really good coach. The other night I'm watching the Isles, and Barry Trotz, I mean, should have seen him juggling the lines throughout the game. You know, whoever was going, he was going to be playing with Matt Barzella. Right, right. Whoever's going,
2: whoever's yeah. going that night. I mean, you know, you, you come out, especially as, like, for, for me, like a grinder my whole career, It, it the coach – that the co- the best coaches they're they're so in tune with their players and how they're starting the game even and it could be 10 minutes in you get bumped up mm-hmm. you know or sit sit the fuck down Mitchell <laughs> 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 Mitch, you're having a tough go Why don't you're you having a tough go <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I remember I remember in Nashville I I lost uh I was zero and nine and and Michelle Terry on, on my face offs oh and nine and uh Therian said uh he said, uh, "Flinny is going to take the rest of the face-offs, the rest of the night. Okay, it's <laughs> it's not your night." And I'm like, "Fair enough. I'll play winger. No problem. As long as you keep me lined line, I'll, yeah. I'll I mean, I'll sharpen yeah, skates." Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I think that is a good place to uh, to kind of end here. But basically I do want to give you the last word today. Tom Kervers is a guy who I know you knew well. He passed away recently. He played in the NHL for 11 years in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Hobie Baker Award in college. Um, I know you wanted to say something about him.
1: Yeah, it, and I was, you know, a week, and a week, week and a half ago, I was reading about um, how the Iowa Wild renamed the press box after uh, after Tommy. Um, there are a lot of people in this game, you know, we, we've we talked about it a few times, who, who you know, who took you under their wing? You know, who is that veteran, that guy that really looked after you and taught you how to be a pro, right? That's a common question in, um, that a lot of NHLers get. Um, and, and the scouting world is no different. Um, I had a lot of really, really great mentors internally in Vancouver, but if there was one guy outside of the organization that really looked after me and always checked in on me and it, it was Tom Curvers. um, that guy, when he passed away, it was really hard on me. Um, because he really looked after me from, from a managerial perspective, but obviously from a friend's perspective and the best hockey guys, in my opinion, the best veteran guys who played in the league. And and we have two great examples of that here in Brian and Tori are the guys that can talk about other things in life. You know, it's not constantly about the glory days and that's how TK was. He was one of the first people that ever asked me about how, how I, I got to where I was his, my professional development, um, as a person, he would constantly check in on my, my wife and my family, you know, how, how are the family, how's the family doing? How's what's going on with your mom? How's she, you know? And, and he just, he was just a genuinely human, a genuine human being, um, and someone that I'm really going to miss. And and I think that is a perfect, perfect way to, um, memorialize a, a gentleman and a scholar of the game. R- real quick story about, and I've told this before, um, off the air uh, to Strader when, when he passed. Um, it was uh, 09, I believe it was 09 or 10. It doesn't matter the year, but I was a young scout and um, I was at a game at the Garden on a Thursday night and I was introduced to Tom Curvers and I was really nervous um, because he was assistant GM of, of uh, both Phoenix and then Tampa at the time and won the Hobie Baker and had all this experience in the game had a really nice conversation with them and then um, got a phone call the next day on Friday from somebody I didn't know. And it was a six, five, one area code. And I looked down and Hey, uh, Hey, Batesy, this is Tom, uh, Tom curvers uh, with the Tampa Bay lightning. We, we met last night. I'm like, Yeah. Hey, how how you doing? You know, he goes, Hey, uh, are you still driving up to Portland tonight for the AHL game? I said, yeah, he goes, well, I'm over at the long wharf. W- would you mind giving me a ride? I said, absolutely. No problem. So hang up. And I'm, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to be in the car with Tom Curvers for two hours up at the game and two hours back. Like, you know, so I was planning on picking him up at whatever time and got there, of course, you know, five, 10 minutes early. And I'm a big Pearl Jam fan. I love, I love Pearl Jam. So I always have Pearl Jam radio, would always have Pearl Jam radio on Sirius uh, playing in the car. And he gets in and, you know, Hey, BTA doing good. How you doing? You know, and uh, off we, we head up the interstate and uh, we're about two three minutes into the car ride and he goes so you're a pearl jam fan huh i said yeah he said uh me too he said what's your favorite songs we start talking about songs he goes huh he's like what do you think those lyrics mean and we 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 spent two hours up talking about pearl jam lyrics and it was kind of like i know how ridiculous that sounds but it was just ridiculous i know it's absolutely ridiculous (laughs) but i just got to know him on a personal level and and yeah yeah you know it's kind of one of those things that i always um i always kind of think about so kudos to the iowa wild for renaming the press box after tk because um just a terrific terrific gentleman and um he's gonna really really be missed
0: well very well said and uh you know certainly from the heart and alive is the best pearl
1: jam song Uh, that's debatable (laughs) it's a great tune but i'm more of a tremor christ fan or 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 light years those are two, two of my favorites Alive is my favorite. So
0: I think a perfect place to uh, exit here on episode seven. A lot of good stuff that we got to today. Continue following us along, everybody. We're everywhere now. The Elevator 2 podcast, you know, maybe we're verified soon by this point. Who knows? But uh, Elevator 2 podcast on Instagram, Elevator 2 itself on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Elevator 2 on Facebook. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Continue on. Uh, so you can email us, Elevator 2 podcast at Gmail. So for the professor, straighter, money, Mitch, I'm Farky. Soon this YouTube thing will say Farky, not Brady. I'll remember to change it (laughs) out, but uh, we'll be back in episode eight, everybody. We'll see you then.
2: Boom.